0: Welcome to another brand new edition of Tapehead's Draft Season. Bob O'Shuzan, Greg Cosell. I'm the longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, of course, college football broadcaster at ESPN, and Greg Cosell. If you have watched NFL films at any point over the last four decades, you've seen Greg Cosell's work, if not on camera, then certainly on the shows. He has broken down the tape better than anybody. The All-22 getting you set, not only scouting reports for games each week, but of course the draft as well. And that is our job right here. And, Greg, we're going to welcome in a guest to start off this episode because we've got a guy that checks just about every box that we would want checked to talk about, especially quarterback play, but getting ready, college football, to the NFL, and even guys we've talked about so far on this podcast. That's Rich Gangarello, who not only has spent a lot of time in the National Football League, most recently with the San Francisco 49ers, but now is back as the offensive coordinator in college at uh, at the university of kentucky so rich thanks so much for spending time with us we appreciate it i yeah, appreciate you having me on yeah and you and greg right this is a tearful reunion for the two of you right yeah
1: <laughs> well yeah well i got to know rich last summer at a coaching collective it was awesome uh, it started out just being in a van driving down to where we were going about a 45 minute ride and we started talking quarterbacks and uh uh i think it was when we were talking about mitch trubisky that you kind of looked at me uh Rich and said, boy, uh, I think you know what you're talking about just a little bit anyway. So, uh, well, we kind of had some really good conversations about quarterbacks last summer. Yeah,
2: we did. Yeah, it's something I uh, enjoy talking about. Uh, when I find someone that uh, kind of sees it the right way, I really like uh, having those discussions.
1: Yeah, and we had some good ones. And, uh, you know, one of the things, and, and Bob will take over here in a sec just to get us going, but obviously one of the things we really want to talk about, and, and because that's what teams should be doing, is transitioning college quarterbacks to the nfl and what's involved with that so bob why don't you jump in here and we can kind of get get rich started a little bit yeah rich
0: i mean really just to build off of that wide angle lens when you guys are looking at college quarterbacks i think a lot of people think the draft is and when we see these mock drafts guys are just taking player one to 300 this guy's the best this guy's the next best this guy's the next best without thinking through the lens of the transition to the nfl but also systems and coaches, and what quarterback might fit best with what group, and just so your experience of breaking down the tape, but also what teams are looking for, and 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 the, you know the, those properties you're looking for in a college quarterback that you know they have to have to win in the NFL.
2: Yeah, so I mean, it's um, there's a, there's a lot of angles to to attack this from. So you have the the traits of a quarterback that are going to be. To me, non-negotiables for them to be successful at the NFL level, um, to be a top-tier starter, if that's what you're, you know, drafting, especially when you're drafting high. Um, but then from there, it's what kind of system do you run? Um, what can bring out the best in that individual? And um, you know, one of the things that I, that people neglect uh, in the process to to acknowledge with the success or failures of a lot of these guys is the environment you bring them into. Um, will determine a great deal of their success. You know, there are great organizations, there are poor organizations, there are great systems for quarterbacks and whatnot, and those will all affect, impact all these qualities as well. But uh, bottom line is, do they have the toughness to stand in there, in the pocket when they're getting hit, and deliver when it matters most? And if you cannot do that and you cannot show me that on your college tape, I find it very difficult for you to be a top-tier quarterback in the NFL. And I would say that uh, that's where most people in the evaluation process run into problems when they don't uh, really take that one trait in a contested pocket, how a quarterback plays the game in college football, and really evaluate uh, those moments in a guy's career.
1: And, you know, it's interesting you say that because, as you know, in college football there's a lot of of, uh, quarterbacks that don't, work out of muddied, noisy pockets very often. You and I spoke about Trevor Lawrence last summer, and I think you told me, and I I think I remember the correct number, that in going through all his tape, there were just 34 plays in which he actually worked through a muddied, noisy pocket, and that's obviously not a large sample size to make a judgment about his ability to do that at the NFL level. Yeah,
2: I think that uh, if you evaluate someone how they throw on air or – you know, if they, uh, they're they in a system in college where the coach is telling them where to throw the ball before the snap and they know a small amount of plays, what's good against certain coverages, um, those things don't really mean zero to <laughs> me in the evaluation process. And if you're watching a draft day, uh, does a workout that a guy's been through 20 times and his coach has taught him the routine and you think that that is going to, determine his value in this league, I think that uh, you're going to miss a lot of the time. Um, It's not real football. And these kids have been doing it with the Elite 11 and things since they were 15 years old, and they know how to master those things. There's no variables. They're just throwing on air. You show me a guy, all his clips, um, throughout his career. I'll go back to their high school tape if I have to, where they can, when they're taken in the chin and not turn it down and make good decisions, or when the pocket is pushed on them. Um, those are the moments. That's the leap. That's what it takes in the NFL. If you can't do that, um, you're not going to get that overnight in the NFL. And to me, that is always going to be where you miss on a guy. And if you're willing, if you can't see that in a player, um, and there's not a lot of it on tape, let's say Trevor, for example, or there's been other guys, um, you know, I, Haskins comes to mind when he came out. I think he was touched like, 18 times in his senior year i mean it was ridiculous how many t- how few times he was actually in a contested pocket if you're gonna overlook those things then you're gonna have a huge margin for error with a miss with the guy
0: we're talking to rich gangarello most recently quarterback coach of the san francisco 49ers in the nfl but now in college as the offensive coordinator for kentucky so a great way to look at it from both angles and and rich maybe to flip it around though i'm wondering also from the evaluation process How much the fact that now in the NFL, so many of the systems we're watching have that college DNA, you know, just in terms of the X's and O's, what does that do to the evaluation process of the college player to the pros? Because when I was growing up, it was three step, five step, seven step drop. You wanted a six, three guy to stand in the pocket and deliver the ball. And that was it. And and that's not what we see now in the NFL with so many systems. So how how does that impact you looking at college guys for the NFL?
2: And that, that's a great question. And you could talk for hours on this subject and yeah. I would enjoy every minute <laughs> of it. But, the, but it's a great question. It's why uh, it's why 30 years ago you were you're you know you were apples to apples with what you were evaluating a a college quarterback who played under sis, uh, under center in a more pro style environment. And that's what you did in the NFL. And it was a little easier to evaluate. It's also why there was such a, you know, if he's not six foot two, he can't play in the NFL and in the short quarterback and all these narratives that were a big deal back in the day. Well, that's true. If you play that style of football, it would still be that same issue. But you can be built like Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or any of these guys now because you're not asking those guys to play under center anymore and they're taking 80 to 90 percent of their snaps in the gun and um, as long as they have the ability to to find throwing lanes height's a great example of something that no longer matters as big a deal as a trait um, that translates over to the nfl Um, so i think the game has evolved i think players can you can fit them into the uh to ask them to do some similar things more in the nfl that they're doing in college but in the end The pass rush in the NFL, the protection responsibilities, the hot throws you have to make, the things you do under duress, I just don't see it as much in college football. And in the NFL, you're going to get a hundred, you're going to get a hundred times in a season get knocked in your butt. Um, they may go their whole entire careers before that ever happens. And not only do they have to do it for one season, they got to do it their whole career. And do they have that grit and ability to do it? That's the separator.
1: So, Rich, let me ask you this. You know, you you mentioned Wilson. You mentioned Murray. There's others, obviously. Where do you fit this, this second reaction improvisational ability into an evaluation? Because you hear so many people say now that if you can't do that, that now it's tough to play quarterback in the NFL. And obviously, there'd be a lot of debate about whether that's true or not. Where do you stand on that? I think that it
2: so much of the game... Uh, is does get improvised where there are explosives or negatives by bad decision-making that come in those moments. And those abilities to extend plays, the mobility, they help an O-line, um, and they help you in the red zone because it's so hard to throw in rhythm. Um, there's so many on third down. Uh, you're able to play earlier in the league and you're able to generate a uh, positive plays for your offense I mean, I think Josh Allen's a great example of that. Like, that's the prototypical guy now. Um, yeah, it just, it just makes a huge difference. And it, and it allows you to do more in your system and have more flexibility um, because they can bail you out as a coach, quite honestly.
0: Rich Scantarello has spent over 20 years coaching in the National Football League and in college football. We're going to take a quick timeout. We're going to come back and talk not only about some of the prospects in this draft with Rich, but also he's got one in his holster that we're going to be talking about in the not-too-distant future. I want to give some love to Will Levis, the quarterback at Kentucky as well, because he has a very high ceiling, and Rich can certainly tell us about him as well. We'll come right back on Tapehead's draft season. Welcome back to Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. Happy to be joined by Rich Gangarello, the offensive coordinator at the University of Kentucky, but also longtime NFL assistant, quarterbacks coach most recently with the San Francisco 49ers. And, and I think, Rich, to start off this segment, because you and Greg just talked about it, or at least touched on this, and it's something that I've always been curious about. You love Josh Allen. Right. Like Greg told me that you were a very high guy on Josh Allen. You thought he was going to be a top notch NFL player. What was the knock of several on Josh Allen? Obviously, there were accuracy scattershot issues, but also you always wonder the level of competition in college and how that translates to the NFL. And you guys took Trey Lance. Right. Kind of that same debate of where did he play in college? He didn't play in the SEC. Didn't play in the Big Ten. Where where does that factor into the evaluation process for you? Because there's a Malik Willis in this draft. We're going to be asking the same questions about him. So level of competition in the evaluation process, college to the NFL.
2: So one of my favorite things about uh, quarterbacks, I think historically the mid-major to smaller uh, power five schools, those quarterbacks over the history of time to me have been some of the best players in this league. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you can take a – quarterback who's a multi-year starter at a mid-major for example and he can take them to a level that they've never seen so let's just say they're an average type program and then all of a sudden for two years they're winning conference titles or competing for it to me that tells me that quarterback has the ability to raise the level of everyone around him and for Josh Allen at Wyoming the two years he was there, they won more games than probably ever in that history of that program in those two years in a row. They had never had eight win seasons. I think they'd had like one or two in their whole history of the program, and then when he was there, they were doing it. To me, that, that tells you that the guy's a winner, and he has the ability to elevate people around him. So those things are important to me. So a guy like Malik, who's at Liberty, or somebody who plays at a smaller program— Show me what they did at that program. Did they did they elevate that that to new heights? Did they main, did they win championships? Um, to me, those are all part of the process of evaluating a guy. And uh, you show me those traits, and usually it's going to translate to a, a natural competitor at the next level.
1: Well, let me ask you this: You mentioned Malik. Um, obviously we know that he can throw the ball really hard and he can run fast. You had mentioned when we first started that there were some non-negotiable traits for you. Obviously, based on what you said, we know that being able to work out of a contested pocket is one. What other traits to you as you look at a college quarterback with whatever system he's in, many of them are in in systems that are relatively simple compared to what they're going to do in the NFL. What other traits would you look at as being non-negotiable?
2: You know, if you're gonna, if you if you have any aspirations of playing a guy day one, he better have been a multi-year starter in college. Um, I mean, to me, it may be a different game, but the experiences and and taking the snaps and what you do when you're in charge and um, banking those reps are so important. So, a guy that plays a lot of games in college, you know, like that's the great thing about Pickett. You know, staying in. I mean, that, he has a a lot of starts under his belt joe burrow that extra year like i mean look what it did for him um you know you come out you're a one one year guy it's very difficult for you to just jump in and play in the league you just haven't played enough football um to hone your craft and i think that uh, so i'm always looking for guys that have a lot of starts um do they take care of the football um in those moments uh where they, it could go sideways. Do they, or do they create positive plays? You know, do they, do they make smart decisions, um, in critical situations? How do they play in two minute situations? I mean, there are guys that I've evaluated in recent drafts where they've, they're on such good teams at Ohio State or these other schools where they literally, Maybe they don't even have a two-minute situation that really matters in their entire career. You know, uh-huh. like give me a guy who's who's played a lot of one-score games and found a way to win them. And show me in those situations how he is under duress. Like um, in college football, you forget, you don't get to talk to the guy in the helmet. So in two minutes, when he's out there, he's on his own. In the NFL, us as coaches, we're we're babying these guys through a lot of stuff. Hey, do this, do that. You can talk to a guy. Um they got to be a coach for you out on the field in college football. So in those moments where they can't look to the sideline and have an answer, um, how do they handle it? Like things like that are, are when you're looking at the entire picture and you're, you're trying to make a decision that'll, you know, decide a franchise's course, uh, their history, where they're headed, uh, a GM, a head coach, everyone that's weighing on what will be the outcome of this pick, you have to unturn every stone and those things are very, very important.
0: Well, Rich, you know, you mentioned Willis, you mentioned Pickett. Um, We have a lot of fans of quarterback needy teams that are listening to this podcast that are going to be on pins and needles on draft day, wanting to know if their team is actually going to step in and take a quarterback this year. So maybe like, what do you think of this quarterback class? Those guys, a couple of other guys that you've seen, what, what, if there's a quarterback needy team out there, uh, are they going to find their guy potentially in this draft?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's always there. I mean, um, yeah, some years are deeper than other. with, with a few more. Con- uh, all it takes is two or three more contenders as franchise quarterbacks to, to make it considered a deep draft. But what I will say is this. The best thing that can happen to a quarterback sometimes is to be picked 15 to 32. Right. Because he's picked by a better franchise. And that will ultimately allow him to have a better chance to prove that he's a better quarterback. And versus going to a 2-14 and 14 team where he's going to get his head kicked in and confidence wrecked and all the things that go along with that environment. So maybe these guys will move down in the draft and not pick, get picked aside, but they may end up in better organizations. Uh, which gives them a chance to have better careers. And then 10 years from now, you're saying, oh, wait, hey, hey, we didn't expect this draft to be as good as it was. And all of a sudden, the, some quarterback from Cincinnati that no one thought about is a, is a franchise player. You know, So those are the things that I think it, there's so many variables that uh, you never know. So I do think that there are, in every draft, there are going to be those answers, and sometimes they come from the most like, unlikely uh, places.
1: I know, Rich, you mentioned you'd seen a good amount of Kenny Pickett, and he's obviously a name that's being talked about as potentially the first quarterback off the board this year. Uh, From what you have seen of Kenny Pickett, give us sort of a breakdown of his game and how you see him transitioning to the league.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, systems will determine a lot of their success. I think that um, he is, uh, you know, I mean, you could throw him in the Mac Jones type mold or, or those types of quarterbacks where he's, multi-year starter he took pit to some real high level uh play um he has been very good with the ball he's toughness he's good under duress he won big games in the clutch um i think all those things bode well um if he gets in the right organization with the system that allows him to kind of you know distribute the ball um with the right style of passing attack i think he's going to have a chance to be real successful
1: yeah, because I know I, when I was at the Combine this year, I spoke to a lot of coaches, and and I, I actually really like Kenny Pickett on tape, and I'm trying to figure out in my mind why he's not thought of a little more highly. And one of the things I kept hearing was, well, he doesn't have that one special trait. But I, but to me, watching him, you know, I see a guy that, you know, he knows where to go with the football. You know, he knows how to go to the right receiver with the right kind of throw at the right time. And, and he has some mobility. I mean, we saw that against Clemson when he had to make some tough runs in critical situations and he made them. So I guess I'm trying to figure out why he's not thought of, and I'm not suggesting he's Josh Allen or that guy, but I'm trying to figure out why he's not thought of a little more highly.
2: Well, I think the two things that, that come to mind are the hand size. I might scare some people, you know, just he's had to adapt his throwing style, I think because of it, but he's found a way. So that wouldn't discourage me. Um, unless you know he's proven to overcome that, um, but to me, you know, what is the, the elite trait? You know, do you want a guy that throws it hard in seventy yards, or a guy that runs really fast, or, or do you want a guy who throws with anticipation, on time, allows yak, processes, a natural leader, those qualities? And again, what I would say is, you show me all of Kenny Pickett's plays his entire college career where he was in a contested pocket. You watch just those plays, which I have not, but if you watch just those plays and you show me and you compare him against other guys that have come out recently or you show me he plays at a high level in that situation, I would tell you that's the elite trait that will separate the guy. If he can do it, chances are he's going to be very good. If he can't, chances are he won't. And that, to me, will determine all those guys' success.
0: Hey, before we let you go, you've got one. We should definitely give some love to Will Levis. I, I watched him last season uh, beat Florida in front of a packed house. And obviously, if you're a quarterback in the NFL, I'm sure your job as an offensive coordinator is to keep Will Levis' pocket clean as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a quarterback in the SEC, you're going to be in a contested pocket from time to time. Right? I don't think there's yeah. any way around that. So we're no going to see him tested. We'll see certainly as a play caller you tested. But tell us about Will Levis and what you project a couple of years from now he might be in the NFL because he'll be part of that next class we're going to be talking about.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, I had a great, great job and was very happy with where I was at, and this popped on the radar very quickly. Um, and just randomly last year I'd seen a game where Will had played, and I had, he had jumped on my – I just noticed him in that game. It was just watching the game on TV and thinking, man, this guy's pretty good. And then when this popped on my radar, I threw on some game tape before, um, you know, it, it worked out that I was able to take the job and I just, uh, I saw some qualities that are very important to me. And I saw some things that make him a very, very talented quarterback. Um, and they could really excel in our kind of pro style system. And so, so far what I've seen and been around, I've been, uh, very pleased with, and I think he's got tremendous upside and he's got a lot of competitive greatness in him and, uh, I look forward to coaching.
0: Rich, thanks so much for doing this. We really do appreciate it. No problem. Appreciate
1: it. Thanks, Rich. We'll, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good, Greg. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. Okay. okay. That
0: is Rich Scangarello. Be sure to keep your eye on Kentucky football this year and straight ahead. We'll continue the discussion. Want to react to some of the things Rich told us. We've been told this isn't necessarily a quarterback deep draft, but, Rich, he might have given some hope to some teams out there that they're going to find their franchise guy. Find out about that next on Tape Heads Draft Season. We are back on what has already been a really good, informative episode of Tapehead's Draft Season. Rich Gangarello, we just said goodbye to him, the Kentucky Offensive Coordinator, but of course, 20 years combined college and NFL coaching experience, Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. And Greg, what were your big takeaways on what Rich said? He said some pretty enlightening things to me about the NFL draft process and how you can find, I think like almost unintended flaws, flaws that are not necessarily the fault of the quarterback in yeah. college, but affect the process, at least in terms of how NFL guys might evaluate that player. Um, when if you play for a team that's just too good in college, you might be a big reason why, but it also means you weren't tested. And college you know teams that are so good and don't have a tested quarterback – they're not necessarily providing the information to the NFL guy who wants to see you when like the world is kind of crumbling around you and and how you handle
1: it um, on a football field. And well, I, I thought it was really interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. And it, it's always he spoke about something that I've thought for years and he's lived it as a coach, that it's not just about evaluating traits, Bob, of college quarterbacks. It's what are they going to be asked to do in the NFL? So that's the next step. You know, and I think that it's one thing to look at a quarterback and say, oh, he's got a big arm, he's got great mobility, but what is he going to be asked to do? And two quick stories. I remember going back years when I was evaluating Blaine Gabbard in that draft and Jacksonville traded up, as you may recall, to draft him. And I remember watching him at Missouri, and there were so many sort of one-step drop shotgun throws. So there's no pressure on those throws. And I kept digging and digging and digging and watching more and more tape. You know, some people thought I was nuts. I just kept watching more and more because I wanted to find plays where he had deeper drops and was under duress. And you find them. There weren't a lot of them, but I found them, and he did not execute well at all. So when he got to the NFL, we saw that when the... Pocket got muddied and noisy and contested, to use uh, Rich's word, he could not function. And that's one reason why someone like Blaine Gabbard has never been able to be a full-time starter because – With a big arm, he's athletic, but he could never operate out of a contested pocket. And then one other quick story. I've gotten to know Brian Schottenheimer, who was with Jacksonville last year as their quarterback coach. And we spoke about Trevor Lawrence. And he said that one of the main things with Trevor is that, just what Rich said, he did not have to work with bodies around him in college. So that was the kind of thing they really had to work on because Trevor Lawrence is a strider as a thrower. And and I noticed that watching his tape and I made that note last year when I was evaluating him that he tends to strive and when there are people around him, he's not as comfortable and he rushes his mechanics. And basically Brian echoed the same thing. He obviously knows him better than I. He was with him every day. But I personally believe a thousand percent in what Rich said, if you cannot operate in the NFL out of contested muddied pockets, it's really hard to be a high-level quarterback. And the other thing, which obviously struck home to me,
0: was getting a quarterback to an organization that has a foundation to support him, talent around him, a successful system, all of that has so much to do with shaping that guy's career. And look, I've been calling the Jets for 20 years. And, when, and been, I've gone to every game basically for 25. <laughs> right, right. And when I think about the young quarterbacks they've had, that have been successful. Chad Pennington. I and mean, Chad was hurt a lot, but when Chad played and played a full season or close to it, he normally got the team to the playoffs. He went to Miami and played a full season and got them to the playoffs. So he was a guy that necessarily wouldn't necessarily gonna carry to a Super Bowl, but he was a guy that was a playoff worthy quarterback. Without question. Even Mark Sanchez, who they drafted him high, but he came to a good team. He came to a team that could run the ball and play defense, had a great offensive line got to -to back-to-back championship games. Then I think about the quarterbacks that have failed, the Geno Smiths, the Sam Darnolds. Now Zach Wilson is fighting that fight. Um, And how much, you know, I've always heard the knock on Sam, well, if Sam Darnold was that great, he should have risen the team and carried the team and gotten everybody around him to rise up and play better. And that's probably, there's some truth to that, I'm sure. But having said that, like, look at some of the star quarterbacks now in the nfl guys that we think of as some of the best of the best like a lamar jackson a patrick mahomes those guys did go to teams that had great circumstances correct great foundations great teams to put that player in that sphere and let them to a certain extent developmentally be protected by that sphere and live within that foundation it it is a great point i mean If I'm a quarterback, of course I want to get picked in the top five. I want to say I was the first pick in the draft. That's where all the money is. But maybe for long-term success, you're better off being taken 26th by an organization that believes in you but also is pretty good because that's why they're drafting to the 26th.
1: Yeah, and I, Rich and I spoke about this last summer when I spent time with him. He said that the number one indicator, and I guess he had a study done with whatever team he was with at the time, might have been the Niners, I can't remember, but there was, he had a study done by the organization that proves the number one indicator of quarterback success as a rookie is the quality of team, not the quality of individual player, because all these guys, if you're drafted first, second, third, are talented, as we know. They have traits but it's the quality of team and, by extension, I would guess organization. So... If the quality of team is high, and you mentioned some quarterbacks, obviously Patrick Mahomes went to the Chiefs and did not even play his first year until the final game of the right. season, which, right. you know, and again, he was the 10th pick in the draft. The Chiefs traded up to get him, but they had Alex Smith at the time, and Alex Smith was a quality quarterback, won a lot of games in this league. Um, But normally, rookie quarterbacks play now. You know, it's very rare that you, you know, you're in a Carson Palmer situation in 2003 where the first pick in the draft, Carson Palmer, did not play, I think, one snap in 2003, his rookie season. If you're drafted first now, you're going to play. And if the quality of team cannot support you in any way or in any meaningful way, it is really hard to produce. You saw that with Trevor Lawrence. You saw that with your guy, Zach Wilson. We'll see what happens this year. It's not likely a quarterback will be drafted in the top two or three. I guess Detroit would be the wild card at number two. They theoretically could take a quarterback. And I guess they did coach Malik Willis in the senior bowl, so they do know him well. So that's a decision they'll have to make. But... It's very possible that the quarterbacks, Bob, in this draft will go to teams that have a good foundation. And if the quarterback does have to play year one, every game is not on his shoulders. Looking, before we wrap this episode up, at the quarterbacks in this
0: draft through the lens that Rich provided us. Yeah. You know, maybe took a program that hadn't won before and got it to a higher winning level. Played a lot in a muddy pocket and succeeded, was a leader, took some shots right to the chops and still right. delivered the football. Are there guys that you've evaluated in this draft that you might look at a twinge differently than maybe before we talked to Rich or some guys that check some of those boxes that if I'm an NFL needy, you know, a quarterback needy team in the NFL in this draft, I'm going to say, oh, well, now I might look at, you know, Kenny Pickett a little differently than maybe I would have looked at him before. I kind of crawled inside the mind of an NFL evaluator like Rich.
1: Right. Well, I think Pickett checks those boxes, and I felt that way even before we spoke to Rich. I think yep. Pickett, first of all, he played four years as a starter. Clear incremental improvement every year until this year where he had dramatic improvement, and the tape shows that. And the tape shows a tough-minded competitive player who, to me, has a very desirable combination of pocket execution, Uh, He's a ball distributor and an executor, but also there's a toughness to him and enough mobility and extend the play dimension to his game that he can do that. I mentioned the Clemson game. Obviously Clemson did not have its best year, but Clemson gets five star recruits on defense clearly. And Kenny Pickett played a, terrific game that required him to be highly competitive so I think Kenny Pickett checks those boxes. I think another player who we didn't mention with Rich but I think Desmond Ritter falls into that category. He's a four year starter, did not have a very good sophomore season and in fact one of the things I've learned about their coach Luke Fickle and I don't know if you did you said you've done some Cincinnati games as I recall.
0: Yeah, I had them a couple times this year. Yep. Yeah,
1: Luke Fickle is well known as a guy that no matter who the quarterback was the year before, it's an open competition. So Desmond Ritter had to win the job every year, and he came off a, relatively speaking, poor sophomore season. So he had to win the job to go into his junior season, had an excellent junior season, and then we saw what he did this year where obviously they made it to the Final Four in college football. So I think Desmond Ritter might check those boxes as well. A player that took a program that, you know, was – I mean, not a bad program, but not a great program. And he turned them into a national power to some degree. And they, and they're not really considered a power five school. So, you know, I think that Ritter would, would check those boxes. It's the old Bill Parcells school of thought that your quarterback has to start a certain number of games and be a leader type. And Desmond Ritter is certainly not a guy that looks for the cameras.
0: Yep. There's no doubt. It was really, it was fascinating to talk to Rich. I really enjoyed it. And next week, I think we're going to bring on another guy that has lived that life and been in that room, Mike Tannenbaum. We're going to talk to former NFL executive, ran the Jets, ran the Dolphins. So Mike Tannenbaum is going to join us. And uh, he's going to give us not only more player evaluations, but also walk us through how a team lines up their draft board and gets the guys that they want. So you can hit us up on social media. Let us know who you want your team to draft this season, those quarterbacks. or There's a lot of debate at a lot of different positions. And can't wait to get back next week. Talk to Mike Tannenbaum as we continue to take you up on this podcast until the NFL Draft. Look forward to seeing you next week on Tape Ed's Draft Season.